This morning we are going to be in 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, and we are going to be in verses 12 through 19, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, from the second that we are born in life, right, we witness and we experience suffering, right? As a little one is being born, there is suffering in that moment. He comes out screaming. She comes out screaming. There is suffering for the little one. There's suffering for the mother. You may have heard it before, from the womb to the tomb, suffering is something that happens as we live our lives. And I remember that uh, becoming very real to me when I was in, I believe it was fifth grade, and there was a kid at the small Christian school that I grew up in who was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I remember as a fifth grader thinking, what sort of suffering that must be to be in eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever grade he was in, to be walking through that while also just trying to excitedly be an eighth grader, playing sports, serving the Lord. I think he was a pastor's son. I remember when I was in fifth grade and the sort of suffering that was for our school community. A lot of the guys were beginning to shave their heads to try to walk with him in that, empathize with him in that. But even so, it, it was a, a trial-filled time for our school. And I remember at the memorial service as they sang, I can only imagine just the, the sorrow that we sensed in that, but the hope that he had in the Lord also gave us some joy. And so I remember that. I remember in middle school, one of my brother's friends passed away in a motorcycle accident, was driving home on his motorcycle one night. Somebody crossed through uh, the center barricade, and instantly his life was taken. And I remember vividly in my ninth grade year. Uh, I was spending the night at a friend's house, and my mom picked me up the next morning, and the first thing she said was, David and Sandy passed away. And that was the son and the daughter-in-law of the pastor at the tiny little church that I grew up in. And so suffering was something that was very real and apparent, you know, from birth to, to fifth grade to, uh, as I was going into college, watching my grandma pass away, being in the hospital room when that happened, watching a nephew pass away. Suffering is something that happens to us. And, and having been part of a church for five years here at Anthem, helping out on staff, we've witnessed suffering. A, a year and a half ago, one of our college students passed away in his sleep, and that's been a struggle for many of us to walk through, to recover from. 
And it's for some created bitterness, for others created thankfulness that, yeah, God is with us amidst that. And so suffering is something that we experience in life. Sometimes it's more of a grieving. That's, that's the sort of suffering I've spoken of so far, where we're suffering the loss of someone's life. We're suffering the loss of maybe a relationship. Maybe you were excited about some relationship you're in, and then all of a sudden it's not there, and then you're grieving the loss of that companionship, or it's divorce that has happened. So there's grieving, and that's suffering, but there's also just creation suffering, right? Scripture says that all of creation is groaning. We live in a, a fallen and broken world, and so sometimes disasters happen. Sometimes disease strikes. But there's suffering beyond that. There's victim suffering, being on the receiving end of abuse or trauma. There's suffering that happens at times when, you know, if you guys are sinners like me, raise a hands, anyone, like, There's consequential suffering. Sometimes we make choices that end up hurting other people, and then we suffer in pain knowing that we caused some of that hurt, and we suffer through the guilt. And by choice, sometimes we're creating suffering in our lives. Other times the suffering is more of a missional suffering. We're we're saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm opening up my Bible. He calls me to go and make disciples, and I'm trying to do that, trying to live that out faithfully. But often, when we're on mission for the Lord, there's suffering that comes in front of us. Other times, there's suffering that's more of a discipline or a holiness suffering. Or you're following after the Lord, and, and you're saying no to old desires so that you can say yes to new desires as a follower of Jesus. And so suffering is something that, that we have to deal with on so many different levels as, as people on earth. But so often our tendency, right, is to look at it through a lens that isn't biblical. Our tendency is to try to manage it in in unhealthy ways. Sometimes it's more of a suppressive management style where it's like, I'm going to just pretend it's not there. I'm going to busy my life. I'm going to try to go, 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 ignore it. And sometimes we suppress the suffering that's happening. But then other moments, maybe you've been in a sort of suffering where it's, it's led to more of a depressive state where it's all you can focus on. This thing has happened in front of you, and it's all you can look at. It's all you can think about, and it's just pressing in, and that can lead to some really dark days. And so this morning, the hope would be that in 1 Peter 4, we're going to be guided through the the word of the Lord to know how to walk through suffering in a way that is biblical and in a way that can somehow find joy amidst that trial. And so 1 Peter 4 specifically is going to be talking about missional suffering, suffering as Christ suffered. And so as we're walking through that, though, we're going to see that there are some answers for any sort of suffering that we would have, and it would be found in the Lord. And so this morning, the topic is simply suffering as Christians in a suffering world. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we are going to walk through 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19 with one another. And so, God, uh, we just pray over this uh, time that we would be able to hone in on your word, that we would be guided to understand how to walk through the different pains and struggles and trials in our life. And so, Lord, through the work of your spirit, would you illuminate our hearts to understand you more on this topic? In Jesus' name, amen. 
We'll go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 4, if you're not already there. Um, we're nearing the end of 1 Peter. We've been in it all semester. Uh, the, the first portion of 1 Peter talks uh, most about this living hope that we have in Christ. It's setting up the early church at that time to understand who they're basing their lives upon. And then from there, uh, in previous weeks, we've talked about what it looks like to apply the Christian faith, to live out the Christian faith that we have in Christ. And then now, uh, from last week and going into this week, we're zooming in on this topic of suffering. And so with suffering in mind, kind of the framework that we're going to read the text through, uh, we're going to be walking through four different formational shifts, mindset shifts, lifestyle shifts that we can have in our life so that when suffering does come, we can walk through it in a way that is godly and we can walk through it with a sense of hope, knowing that God is with us in it. And so let's go ahead and read verse 12 uh, with one another as we look at the first shift. It says, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The first shift that we're going to look at is rather than being surprised by suffering, we as Christians ought to expect it. And so the first thing that Peter's communicating, he says, beloved, that's the first word out of his mouth in this portion of the letter. And why he's saying that, he's helping affirm and remind the early church of their identity. He and Paul both do this multiple times where they say, beloved, affirming that identity, but then also, da-da-da, setting them up to hear a truth, to be challenged, to have some insight. And so what is the insight that he's providing here in verse 12? He says, beloved, so child of God, daughter of God, Christian, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And so he's affirmed their identity. Okay, you're following after the Lord, early church. You guys are saying, yes, I I, want to live out this Christian life. And so they're leaning in, they're listening. What do you have for us, Peter? And he said, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And what he's doing there, he's showing them the reality. There's going to be suffering in life for you. Fiery trial translates to calamity, translates to to this sort of fire that happens in life. And so more or less what Peter is saying is, okay, as you're living life, there's a match on planet Earth. There's fuel, there's logs, there's going to be a fire. And sometimes that fire is going to come in the path in front of you. As I was saying, rather than thinking, oh, this is a surprise for suffering, he's saying, expect it. Learn to expect the suffering. And what's the purpose? He says, it's going to test you. The Greek there means to provoke, to discipline you. And so what's it for? He's saying, it's for your discipline. It's for your growth. And, and what that means is it's not by chance, but it's taking place at times by design for the believer's growth. He says it comes upon you to test you, to provoke, to discipline. And that's why he says don't think that it's strange. Don't think that it's uncommon or an odd thing to happen in your life as a believer. Because if you're a believer, that is part of the life. And and I think as I was processing through this, it it made me think uh, of kind of just this phrase that came to mind. I don't know. It's because I'm a new parent. That's I do know. The, The dirty diaper effect, right? The Lord has blessed my wife Peyton and I with a newborn, and we love him. His name is Woods. We went on a little hike yesterday. Great time. We did all the walking, and uh, he, you know, just got carried, and he enjoyed most of the time. But anyway, the Lord blessed us with Woods, and we love him dearly. But what comes with Woods? A whole bunch of dirty diapers. 
And more or less, that's what Peter is saying for the early church. He's saying, if you're saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm living out the Christian life, he's also saying with that comes fiery trials. They're going to, what? They're going to test you. And so he's shepherding the church through this language in verse 12 to say, all right, beloved child of God, daughter of God, here's something to know. Rather than being surprised by the suffering, rather than thinking it's strange, learn to understand that as you're living life, it will come upon you and it has purpose. And so he's shepherding the church using similar language to what Jesus used in John 16 when he says, in this world you will have trouble. It's not a matter of if there will be suffering, but when it comes. And so he's just trying to give this, this ground level sort of thing. Okay, you're a Christian, there will be suffering. The second shift we see in the text is distilled in verse 13. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's resurrecting this theme from the first verse of chapter 4 where he talks about Christ's suffering. Chapter 4, verse 1, which we hit on last week, says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so he's trying to invite them into this shift where rather than avoiding suffering, they're learning to rejoice in it to rejoice in the suffering. And for this people at that time, like this letter written sometime around 62 AD, for for the people at that time, they, they were frustrated probably when they were hearing this. Because one little case study example of what was happening in their world within the Christian subculture that was forming, remember they were the minority at this point, Like 62 AD, that's when James, the brother of Jesus, taken to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, thrown off the top of the temple for him to die. He didn't, so then they took him out of town and stoned him to death. Like that's the sort of stuff that's that's happening in their daily news, you know, in their inbox of Christianity Update 101. That's the sort of thing that they're hearing. And so when they hear Peter saying, rejoice in the sufferings, that was hard for them to hear because they were victims of many oppressive things. So why does he say to to rejoice in the suffering? Verse 13, it says that you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's talking about this, this present hope that you have with Christ being in you, but also this future hope in the end of being with him forever when his glory is fully revealed. So Peter is encouraging the church to look at it through that lens. In effect, what the Greek exposes here, I think is read best in the New American Standard Bible. In verse 13, in that version it says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What what that means is the ratio that you suffer, so say you're just going through a lot right now and there's 110% suffering going on, there's this direct correlation that you can have in Christ, which is joy amidst that trial. Why? Because Christ is the one who suffered to give you hope in the end and present peace. And so, so we can look at the Gospels and we can see how Jesus carried himself when suffering came, right? Like we can think about the different stories that take place in the New Testament. When it comes to Jesus and his perspective, this will be up on the screen. When it came to Jesus and his perspective in life, he wasn't comfort-centered, nor was he suffering-centered, but he was God-centered. And what I mean by that is, is when 
there were things that were coming up in his life. He didn't just run away from suffering. He wasn't comfort-centered and said, you know what, my goal in life is to never suffer. Like, he went to the cross. That, that was a, a move of suffering for the sake of his people and submission to the Father. And so he wasn't comfort-centered. He wasn't just living for his own happiness. But at the same time, he wasn't on the other end of the spectrum where he was suffering-centric either. Yes, he did suffer, but he didn't run, you know, a thousand miles to find suffering over and over and over again. Like, we see him enjoying time with the disciples. We see him experiencing just the fun of a wedding. We see Jesus in and enjoying the life that he had. But what was he when it came to life? He, he was God-centric. God's will was the priority in his life. His relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit was a priority in his life. And so when suffering would come, he would endure it with joy. In Hebrews 12, it talks about for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus had this blend of endurance and suffering and joy, and that is what Peter is tapping into here. That's what he's communicating. He's saying rejoice amidst it. And, and before we move on from that idea of rejoicing and suffering, I think it's important to, to say Peter's not saying smile when suffering comes. It's not that simple, and it's not that shallow. He's saying surrender amidst it in joy, knowing that Christ is with you. So if you've been grieving, loss of a relationship or someone in your life, if there's been persecution happening around you because of decisions that you've made, it's not saying just smile amidst that. It's not that shallow. It's saying rejoice in the Lord, knowing that he is with you in it. And then as you suffer, as you suffer, it's to his glory. And for some of you, you, you may be in a season where, uh, I don't know if you know what running the gauntlet is, kind of like a medieval history sort of reference. I think that's when it took place. But running the gauntlet, I, I think it was like a 100, 200-foot stretch where people, this was a form of torture, where they would have to run through this course with obstacles and with people on the right and on the left, hitting them with different things. And they would have to run the gauntlet as a form of punishment. And sometimes it really feels like we're suffering that much in life, where we look to our left, and it seems like people are against us. We look to our right, and something doesn't go our way. We look above, we look beneath, and it just feels like there's this pressure that surrounds us. And so Peter's saying, you, you don't just smile amidst that. You can rejoice in the Lord, knowing that he is faithful, knowing that this may be part of a puzzle piece that you don't understand, but a, a puzzle piece that he does that will in time be for his glory. You might not see it yet. You might not feel it yet. But rejoice because he's with you amidst it. He's writing to believers, so he's reminding them, you guys have the Lord with you in this suffering. It's, it's a Lord who has suffered as well, and so he understands, he empathizes. So the first shift that he's bringing up is, hey, don't, don't be surprised by the suffering. Rather, expect it. Don't avoid the suffering, but instead rejoice in it when it does come so that you might have a God-centered way to your life. Like Jesus 
and through Jesus. And so Peter says, expect suffering and rejoice in it amidst it. The third shift is in verse 14. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Rather than letting suffering kill faith, we let it cultivate faith. Let's just talk about Peter for a second. Peter was a guy who more or less was a hypocrite. If you only know part of his story, he was a hypocrite for saying this because Peter was the individual who three times in a row after Jesus was surrounded at the Garden of Gethsemane, after Jesus was taken before the council, Peter denies him three times in a row. There's resistance happening in Peter's life. There's suffering around him. Most of it's on Christ at that time. Everybody else is fleeing. And what is Peter's response? He denies knowing the Lord three times when he's approached on that matter. Peter's the guy who even after Jesus has died and resurrected, Jesus hunts him down, finds this floundering fisherman in John 21, and three times kind of has this conversation with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Lord. Okay, if so. Feed my sheep, love my sheep, care for my sheep. And Jesus, in that moment, is helping Peter recenter his suffering in such a way that he is letting it cultivate his faith rather than letting it kill his faith. And, and ultimately, I think that's what led Peter to write verse 14, right? Peter saying, hey, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Lord is with you in it, he's saying. And that ultimately led Peter to an early death where he's crucified upside down for his faith because he's let his faith be cultivated so deeply amidst the suffering that he says in the end, as he's being crucified upside down, historians would say like, I'm not, he says, I'm not worthy enough to die in the same way as my Lord. And so Peter says, don't let suffering kill your faith, but let it cultivate the faith. He, he brings up this idea of suffering 17 or 18 times in the book of 1 Peter. And he's constantly taking them back to see there can be a special joy amidst it. If so much as you're in the Lord. And so that's something that I think we can relate to because when we're living on mission as Christians, right? I would say our mission boiled down is to love God, love people, make disciples. We get that from the great commandments in Deuteronomy and in Matthew 22. We get that from the great commission in Matthew 28. As we're living that out, as we're trying to love the Lord our God with everything, day after day after day after day, as we're living our lives among other people, making disciples, having conversations with friends and family so that they would know, love, and obey Jesus, as we're living that out, there's going to be resistance that shows up. Sometimes we're going to take a step of faith and try to challenge someone. And sometimes they might reject that challenge. They might not talk to you for a minute. Or a couple more minutes than that. Maybe it's weeks. Sometimes people who are in sin, when we're in sin, we don't want to have to deal with someone encouraging or challenging some growth in us. And so what's happening here is Peter is guiding the early church to say, you know what? Suffering is going to come. We ought to expect it. 
not be surprised by it. And as it comes, there's a way that we as Christians can manage it. And so he's saying that the suffering doesn't have to be the enemy always. It can be a blessing. Fertilizer for the soil so that the plant can grow strong. Resistance training for the muscles so that the faith would be bold. That leads us into the fourth shift, which we see in the last five verses. Rather wordy, but completely true, saying, rather than suffering punishment by sinfully seeking our will, we as Christians suffer for God's will as saints. Rather than suffering punishment by sinfully seeking our will, we suffer for God's will as saints. That's a shift that can happen in our life. Verse 15, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That means a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's talking about three different groups of people here. One of the groups of people that he's talking about, we can see in verses 17 and 18, where he says, what will become the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then later on in 18, we'll say, and what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Part of who he's talking to would be the Romans 1 sort of individuals who aren't following after the Lord, who have a debased mind. They're giving into the desires of the flesh. They're living for their own will, and they don't have a relationship with God. They're separated from God. They don't know Jesus, not walking with him. And so that's one of the groups of people he's talking about there. And he's saying that's a form of suffering for the unbeliever now, and that's a form of punishment as suffering for eternity. And so he's bringing that up, you know, for the congregation at that time, some of them likely not following after the Lord. He includes that in there and says, some of you will suffer in that way. But then he also speaks to a group of people that following after Jesus had moments where they were living for their own will. In verse 15, It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Some people in the church were struggling in living for their own will rather than for God's. And so some of them were maybe facing punishment. You know, maybe before they were walking with the Lord, they had murdered someone. They heard about following Jesus in prison, and they're suffering punishment because of their sin. And that's the sort of suffering some of them faced. Others, maybe they, they were claiming to follow after the Lord, and because the, the government was corrupt at the time and, and they were oppressed, maybe some of them had been stealing things, you know, for the good of their family. But in doing that, maybe they got caught, and suddenly they had a suffering in their life. And they were suffering punishment for choices that they made. They were suffering for sin that they had stepped into, that they had walked into. Others, they were Evildoers is the word there in 15. Giving in to the temptations of the world and others were gossips, worried about other people's matters. 
And so Peter's saying, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different forms of suffering, but if you're a Christian, choose to be part of a suffering that has to do with living for God's will and not for your own. Don't just suffer in such a way where where it's like, well, yeah, I'm really suffering right now. Life's hard. I'm frustrated with God. And it's like, well, what are you suffering? How are you suffering? Well, you know, because I really hurt someone's feelings because I blew up on them. And now I'm kind of dealing with some guilt. Like Peter's saying, rather than struggling with that, that sort of suffering, suffer in such a way where you're living for God's will. Where you're living for God's will so much that even when things come upon your path, you're surrendering it to the Lord. You're rejoicing in the Lord amidst it. And that's the third group of people that he's talking to there. In verse 16, He's speaking to believers that are putting up with suffering, right? It says, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He's saying, praise God, some of you are suffering because you're dealing with other people shaming you and you're not quitting. He's saying, you're invited to that sort of suffering. So stop living in your old ways, walk into these new ways, and suffer in a holy way. In verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What that means when it says the the judgment to begin at the household of God, that's talking about this refining that can take place in the household of God. The sanctification process. The whittling away of old behaviors and the welcoming of new behaviors. And so what Peter is bringing up there for that group of people, it's like Proverbs 27, the iron sharpening iron sort of formation within the household of God. Or Malachi 3, it talks about this refiner's fire, where yes, there's the, the gold is going to go through the fire, but it's going to purify it. So Peter says, suffer in that way. As the household of God, as the individual, suffer for spiritual growth. Suffer for the sake of of mission. And I think that's made most clear in verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And to that group of people, he's saying, Continue on. Yes, suffering has happened in your life. But what is he doing there? He's, he's praising those who entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says, Yep, the suffering has come. But don't stop. But what's, what's the human tendency? Our human tendency is to not surrender to God's will. The human tendency is to live for my will, right? So often we orchestrate our life in such a way where we end up getting what we want. Sometimes that comes easy, and other times we suffer for it, and we get caught up in this sort of suffering where it's like, yeah, I'm really working really hard. Why? Well, so that I can have this, or so that I can experience this sort of security. And the human tendency is to live for our will. Other times it's to live for our success. We're going to work 70 hours a week so that we can, you know, climb the corporate ladder, so we can be set apart in the workplace, sacrificing maybe relationships with family, sacrificing the ability to serve in the church. And we put ourselves at times in this position even as Christians, I could say Christian tendency, to where we get wrapped up rather than in God's will or God's glory, we get wrapped up in our success, 
Comfort would be another thing. Pleasure would be another thing that we end up living our lives for even as people claiming the name of Christ. And so what Peter is saying really throughout the whole chapter of 1 Peter 4 is, hey, there's a better way to suffer. Suffer for God's will. Live for God's will and not your own. Where do we see that? We see that in verse 19. We also see it in verse 2, which was hit on last week. So as to live, this is how he's challenging the church. Live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Why? So that the human tendency that they were giving into wouldn't be that they just have this version of the bare minimum Christianity. That's what happens at at times when we're living out our faith. We take this cheapened version of Christianity where we take the the joy of having salvation in Christ. Maybe it happened when you were six years old where you prayed a prayer before the Lord. Or maybe it was when you were 20 and you just really glorify that time in life. But since then, there hasn't been much spiritual suffering. There hasn't been much spiritual growth. As the fiery trials have come in front of you, it's killed your faith rather than cultivating it. And so Peter is challenging the church to not get caught up in this bare minimum Christianity, which I would argue is maybe not even a version of Christianity, right? We're made known by our fruit and how we love one another. And so where there is no fruit, we ought to question, is there faith there? And some within the early church were taking this bare minimum version of Christianity rather than the Christianity that Christ himself offered, where he lived for God's will, where he lived for God's glory, where he endured a godly suffering. That's what he gave himself for. He took godly risk. And so for those Christians who were living in their own will, Peter was more or less calling them out and saying there's a better way to suffer. Rather than suffering punishment by sinfully seeking our will, we suffer for God's will as saints. Yesterday when I was driving around a bit uh, through my neighborhood and into my father-in-law's neighborhood, I, I noticed a couple things. One thing was one of my neighbors out raking the lawn. Great day to rake the lawn. And I saw a lot of people that were working out. They were going on runs. They were going on walks. And my fear would be that too often we spend time trying to make our lawns look a certain way. You know, we'll, we'll suffer the work of picking up the rake, suffer the work of mowing the lawn, and we'll take care of the outside veneer, facade of our lives, or we'll work on our body, right? And, and we'll try to be sculpted in such a way that we come across in a certain way. And, and we'll live for that. We'll, we'll give in to uh, sort of suffering for that. But my fear would be that too often within the church, we would find ourselves in a place where we are not suffering through discipline. We are not suffering for the mission of God. And we get caught up in the exterior rather than letting God do a work in our interior. And we miss out on the joy of things like discipleship. And we miss out on the joy of loving and serving fellow believers. Loving and serving the lost. 
And so Peter's challenge is to suffer in a holy way. And so this morning, I, I think there's quite a few different spots we're in, right? Some of you are in a place where you're, you're in the worst sort of suffering in that you're separated from God. You're not walking with Jesus. And because of that, you're not in a relationship with the Lord. And that is a vulnerable and a hard place. That is a big void to have to fill. And for some of you, the move this morning would be surrendering to the Lord. Shifting from darkness to light through a relationship with Jesus. Like that's exactly what John 3.16 is about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like God suffered through sending his son so that we could experience relationship with the Lord even though we're broken sinners. And so this morning some, it may be shifting from darkness to light through the work of Christ. Others, you might be in a place of more situational suffering, you're grieving. And the encouragement this morning in God's word is to see that we can have a perspective shift. Yes, loss is difficult, and it's going to take time to walk through the grieving process. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. We're going to need some support of believers around us. We're going to need some support from God's word in Psalms. And for you this morning, it would be shifting, seeing that God is glorious amidst that. For he's with you. For others, it it may be more of this consequential suffering that you've been dealing with. You've been living in the same sinful pattern over and over, and it's confessing that to the Lord. It's confessing that to others around you and saying, you know what, I want to acknowledge this sin that's been in my life, and I want to repent. I want to turn away from it. I'm a believer, and I I just want to start suffering in a holy way and not suffering in my own sin, in my own choices, in my own will that I keep living for. And the action for you this morning would be to confess that, to repent, to experience spiritual renewal through the spirit that God has given us as believers. And then I think a final group, it would be seeing that Peter is inviting us to suffer with joy on mission. Peter modeled toil in his walk with the Lord, and he's inviting us into the same. Some of you and myself in different areas absolutely get stuck in park, get stuck in neutral. The engine is idling, but we're not going anywhere. We're not having the hard conversations for the sake of other people understanding who Jesus is. We're not looking closely or letting other people into our lives to look closely at different sinful patterns. And we're just coasting. And for some this morning, I believe the call that Peter has for us is to enter in and to suffer while on mission for the Lord. That's where the joy is at because that's where Jesus is, right? The suffering servant. We get to walk the life that he has modeled so well and invites us into. And so this morning, maybe there's some ways in your life that you are just in park and neutral. And it's moving forward in that. And so I'm going to pray for us and uh, just, yeah, hope that God would do a work in your hearts on this topic of suffering. And so, Lord, we thank you again, as always, for your word, that we can be guided through it, through your spirit. And God, I pray that we could have a mature 
view of suffering. God, I pray for the, the spectrum of situations and life stages that are represented in this room. I pray that you would instruct and encourage each one of us. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that we would just surrender uh, different tendencies in our life and that we would see that you have a plan amidst the struggle, amidst the toil, amidst the sorrow. And God, that's a plan that we can still find joy in because you're with us. Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.